As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Michael, it's about that time. Oh, yeah? Time for... Well, it's time to gear up for conference season, at least for us here at Product Collective. So normally we'd be gearing up for over a thousand product people to fly in from all over the country and even out of the country um, to come to Cleveland, Ohio for our conference industry, the product conference. But this fall, uh, nobody's going to be flying in quite yet. We're going to be virtual once again. And while I miss gathering everybody in person, I'm definitely looking forward to you know, gathering everybody virtually, even if it is from afar. Yes. Hey, the virtual conferences are still better than no conferences, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So, so yes, industry virtual is coming up. It's October 5th and 6th. And we've got keynote talks and fireside chats from some awesome people um, like Lenny Ruchitsky from Lenny's newsletter, if you're familiar with that one. And 
There's product leaders from TikTok, Netflix, Asana, Peloton, but there's also one-on-one virtual networking, small group networking, which is new this year, interactive discussions. We even have a virtual performance by Chris Webb, who's this amazing spoken word performance artist that I know. It's going to be a lot of fun for sure. It just sounds like a good time. And I've I've been to almost every edition of industry, so I actually know it's going to (laughs) be. Well, thank you for that. And As always, I definitely want to help out Rocketship listeners to save on their pass. Um, We're in the early bird phase now, but if you go to industryconference.com slash virtual and use the code Rocketship, you'll save another 20% off your pass. Again, just go to industryconference.com slash virtual, use that code Rocketship, and you'll save even more than the current early bird pricing. Uh, Pricing does go up a little bit on the first of the month, so you'll save most if you register before then. Nice. Well, I mean, look, we hope to see most of our listeners there, at least many of them. But um, we have an episode to do today. So what do we have on tap? Yes. And actually, in the spirit industry coming up these next couple weeks, I thought that we could revisit some of the top talks, some of my favorite talks that we've ever had at Industry Virtual. And so today we're actually going to get things started with a friend of the show. My name is Ash Moria. Uh, I'm the founder of LeanStack and the author of Running Lean and Scaling Lean. Ah, uh, yes, that's definitely a familiar voice. Ash has been on the show a couple of times before and I mean, he's great every time. So this should be a great episode. Let's get into it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So Ash Moira spoke at the very first virtual edition of Industry, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And and you know what? He's been with us at Industry in Cleveland in the past two. And look, Ash is an innovator. He's written books like Running Lean and Scaling Lean. And in fact, a little fun fact for you, Michael, when I had my first true product role. It was Ash's book, Running Lean, that I bought to really give myself sort of a crash course on what it meant to be a product person. And his blog was really everyday reading for me at the time, too. Yes. I mean, Ash is great, especially for product people that are launching products from scratch. Ash's frameworks are some of the best out there. Yes. Although in this talk, he actually goes into what happens after a product is launched, because according to Ash... Once a product is launched beyond that MVP phase, well, sometimes that's where things go wrong. We spend a lot of time talking about how to get to the MVP, but not nearly enough on what happens afterwards. We spend time trying to come up with the right minimum viable product, which is that smallest feature set that we deem our customers want. We then go off and launch that, give that to our customers and start the build, measure, learn cycle. Uh, this is where we collect learning, and that learning helps us to incrementally refine our minimum viable product from there. Now, the challenge that I've seen lots of teams run into is that after they launch that minimum viable product, it's back to business as usual. The rigor that we spend doing the customer discovery work goes out the window, and we then go back to pushing solutions as we've always done, uh, listening to customers listening to feature requests, prioritizing our backlog, which gets us into trouble. So I want to talk about some of the challenges first off um, that leads us into that dilemma and what are some ways out of that. 
It is pretty interesting, isn't it? Because in the beginning, when we're just launching a product, we can be very formulaic. We subscribe to a certain framework. We do the best to stay true to it throughout the launch. But once the product's out there, sometimes that process starts to melt away. Yeah, and there's no good reason that it does, right? But I don't know, like life happens, I guess. Anyway, Ash thinks that there are a few areas where mistakes are often made after that MVP stage. And he starts with metrics, uh, not so much in that we're not paying attention to metrics at all, but we may not be paying attention to the right metrics. Here's Ash with more on this. So we'll start with metrics. So we have gone from a time where it was very hard to measure things to a point where we can measure almost anything. We need to make evidence-based decisions. And so data is that language that we need to speak and use in our decision-making. Now, this, of course, can go too far. We can almost measure anything these days. And so the trap that we fall into is not one of can we measure something, but rather what are the right metrics to really measure. So startups don't starve, they drown. We drown in too much information. Anyone that has looked at their metrics dashboard lately, you've probably seen that over time you have aggregated and collected so many different data points that it just becomes overwhelming. You get this, this drowning feeling. Now, the other challenge with metrics, of course, is that metrics do tell us things that are happening. They help us prioritize where to focus in on, which I'll get to here in a second, but they don't tell us why. Um, so we know, for instance, that no one's buying our product. We know, for instance, we may have an onboarding problem, maybe an activation problem, but we don't really know what's causing this. When we are tracking metrics, we're getting good quantitative data. And that helps us. It does. But again, Ash reminds us that tracking metrics will tell us what's happening, but looking at some dashboard isn't going to tell us why it's happening, will it? No, that's, that's true. But there is a way to get the why. We do have to go to the qualitative side of learning. And this is where the Steve Blank mantra of getting outside the building uh, is very appropriate. Talk to customers and learn what is happening. Now, this again is where we run into some challenges because when we go talk to customers, that in itself is a skill. Uh, listening to customers is key, but we have to first of all know who to listen to. We often will see our customers broken into the vocal majority and minority. And oftentimes the minority, typically not always, but typically are the ones that are getting work done. And we sometimes will listen or pay attention to the wrong customer segments. The other challenge is we often ask customers what they want and they have no qualms giving us the feature requests and the ideas that we should go implement. The challenge of course is that many feature requests are solutions disguised as problems. If you look at your backlog of feature requests, you will often see that your customers are asking for specific buttons, specific reports, specific things to be added into a product. And that is, isn't always grounded in the right kind of learning. Uh, Steve Jobs said this very well when he said, it's not the customer's job to know what they want. That's really our jobs as innovators. What customers can tell us is what they are struggling with. Uh, we can observe that, we can talk to them. Our jobs is trying to understand what are the root causes of the problems. If you're familiar with the jobs to be done framework, we want to understand what outcomes and jobs are they trying to get done and what struggles lie in the way of them achieving those goals or those outcomes. And from there, it's our job to then go away and design the best possible solutions to get that job done. 
So I'm not going to generalize and say that all customers will give you solutions and not those root cause uh, feature requests or root cause problems behind feature requests, but that is typically the case. You will oftentimes see a lot of surface problems, um, a lot of solutions disguised as problems, and so we need to come up with a better way to overcome this problem. All right, we're going to pause here to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be back with more from Ash Moira. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att. Dot com. That's business.att.com. Okay, before the break, we we're learning from Ash and Moira, and this is specifically for product people, but sometimes we make mistakes after that MVP phase. And I don't know, we learned about some of those problems. Yes, and now Ash is going to get into some of the solutions. So here we go, back to Ash. The first solution that I propose is to shorten that cycle time. So rather than spending long periods of time going away in that build phase where we aren't talking to customers, if instead of a three month or a six month cycle time, you can shorten that, you can half that to several weeks or a bi-weekly release cycle, those are going to give you just more feedback along the way, which is going to be a good thing. But what I want is more importantly focus in on is how you can build some continuous feedback loops throughout that product development cycle. So all the way from requirements to release, how can you inject some of this customer learning? Now to do that, we have to revisit the stages with which we build products. You may or may not use Kanban at your work, but I think most people can understand that there are these three buckets where we start off with a backlog of ideas, we then go into an in-progress stage where we are prioritizing and scoping and building those features. Uh, we then package them into a release and then we are done. Now, therein lies the first problem, is how do we measure done? If you go into the agile world, there isn't a very prescriptive definition of done. Lots of teams will define done to mean all kinds of things. For some teams, we might look at done as being code complete. And this is where we will fall into this old world way of measuring progress in terms of completion or execution of a plan. And so that's mostly looking at output metrics, things like build velocity. If you subscribe to a more lean up approach, you probably might inject some learning in there. So did, did we build something and did we learn something in the process? Um, I go even further. To me, learning is not the right measure of progress. Yes, we need learning to build the right things and to know that we have built the right things, but that is an intermediate step, and that's why I put it on the borderline between the old world and the new world, is that we fundamentally have to focus in on outcomes, uh, and these outcomes are none other than business model outcomes. So we have to build, measure, and learn, but then we also have to demonstrate traction. Traction is the thing that ultimately matters above everything else. Um, traction is when the hockey stick curve, as you can see here, reaches an inflection point, when we can see month over month growth, when we can see adoption, engagement, 
good things happen. So that's fundamentally what our end goal really is. One of the stages before done needs to be traction. That's only when we know we are truly done. So the end goal for us after we're out of the MVP phase is traction. Yeah, traction. And that makes sense. I mean, as a product person, we're always trying to get momentum going for our product. We all want to make sure that we're experiencing that traction. But how do we really measure traction? How, how do you actually track that? Well, let's go back to Ash to answer that question. Traditionally, we'll use things like revenue and profit. The problem with these metrics is they are trailing indicators. We need something that is a more leading indicator for traction. This is where the pirate metrics or the customer factory blueprint come into play. We can break down traction as a series of steps or milestones that your customers will take when they're engaging with your product or really any feature um, or release for that matter. And so this is where if you aren't familiar with the term minimum viable feature or minimum viable release, that's what I'm specifically talking about. So much the same way that we build a minimum viable product, you can package a feature and continuously deploy that or continuously deliver that and measure it through these five stages, acquisition, activation, retention, revenue, referral, or you can package a bunch of features together into a minimum viable release and watch the same thing happen. Some of you may use these as your funnel metrics, and this is what we highly recommend, is having a holistic view of how your customers are engaging with your entire product but if you can even sub-segment this down to specific features and releases, that's going to give you a lot of visibility into what's working and what's not working. And so when I talk about focusing in on traction, traction is the output of this customer factory. We can break down the process and use it to figure out where are we falling down. So rather than going off and saying, we have a backlog of features, let's just triage them and come up with some arbitrary way to prioritize. The best way to prioritize your backlog is first starting with a traction goal. Okay, let's get real here, Michael. I could tell you that in the past, I've definitely been guilty of backlog triage. And sometimes I did not have a traction goal to help me prioritize <laughs> that. Well, look, you're not alone. I mean, that's the point of Ash's talk here. Most people can probably relate to you on that one, I'm sure. Like you, maybe? Uh, you're going to make me admit it, aren't you? <laughs> Come on, Michael. Uh, all right. All right. I've definitely been guilty of that in the past. <laughs> in the past. In the past. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for your empathy on that one, Michael. <laughs> anyway, now we've heard the problems. We've heard some solutions, but but what does it all actually look like? Ash actually walks us through it step by step. So here, back to Ash. Step number one is we take one of these feature requests. We try to spend some time to go beyond the surface understanding of that feature. So this is where we do some problem discovery work. This can be done tactically using a bunch of different techniques. You might pick a handful of customers and go interview them and try to understand how are they currently doing a particular job and where are they failing. So you can use a customer discovery process, an interview process to get deeper understandings of where are these root causes, what's broken today, how can we build something better. Um, sometimes you might just be able to go into your metrics and see that something indeed is failing. Maybe there's a particular step where people are failing. And if you turn that maybe into a usability test or just use the metrics themselves, you can again get some better root cause understanding. But that's what this step is about. 
And as a result of this, we may keep a feature uh, and move it forward, or we may decide this is not the right feature at this time. If the cost of building a solution for this problem doesn't warrant the effort, we're not going to move forward with it. So you want to prioritize the low-hanging fruit, the, the, the features in your backlog that may have the biggest impact for the least amount of effort. So we are looking at it with that lens. So let's assume we are moving forward with the feature. We go into a solution design phase. So as a result of problem discovery, you should have gleaned some insights. We turn that into a particular solution. Maybe this is a mock-up, maybe it's a demo. We put that in front of customers, and this is where we do our first initial traction test, and we are looking for attention. So if you're looking into that customer factory blueprint, we are trying to see, do our customers get excited when we show them a demo? If you can't sell the demo, what's the point of building it? Um, and this in itself is going to have an iterative loop. So we are going to go back. Oftentimes that first demo is going to raise more questions. We're going to go back and go around this loop a few times till we can get a demo that gets our customers excited. Assuming we get a demo that enough customers get excited about, um, they, they're excited about the prospect of this solving a particular problem that they are struggling with, we then go off and build this. And a good best practice, depending, I guess, again, on how big your, your customer base is, a good best practice is not to release this to everyone. So we want to take a two-phase validation approach. We're going to first do a partial rollout and validate that the solution we just built, the feature we just built, does indeed solve a particular problem. And so this is where we pick a subset of metrics on our customer factory board here or metrics board here. And we are looking to see, can we really measure the value metrics? And value metrics here are shown as activation and retention. So when you launch a feature, do people use it? Do people get to some desired outcome, maybe the value proposition, maybe the beginnings of a value proposition, and do they come back and use this feature? There are lots of things we push out, and of course, this assumes that you have a way of measuring this, and if you don't, that should be, you know, uh, table stakes, is that if you aren't really measuring on a per-feature level what is happening in terms of customer usage, it's like getting into a car and driving without any windows. You have no visibility into what you're, what things that you're pushing, whether they're indeed being used or not. So that's usually the first step. Um, now, when we measure our value metrics, as I said, we are looking for that initial activation and ongoing usage. And I throw in an optional revenue piece here. Some of you may be launching new features that trigger um, additional revenue. So in those cases, that can be layered in on top is do people use our, our new features and do they upgrade if you are looking for that. Um, otherwise, you can leave revenue out and we are really looking more for a proxy of revenue, which is engagement and value being created. If customers um, are excited or happy to use a feature, the NPS scores and other met proxies can be used in place of revenue to kind of get a similar um, revenue type of metric that you can use to measure whether the feature is working or not. Okay, I know that's a lot and Ash has more, but we should probably take another break here. So we'll be back with Ash in just a minute. Before the break, we heard Ash start to put everything he discussed so far into a step-by-step -step process. And we broke when Ash was starting to talk about rolling out a minimum viable feature. Once you roll out that minimum viable feature, the reality is there's probably gonna be a couple cycles with it before you're actually moving on. In fact, let's rejoin Ash right at this point. Your initial 
implementation of that minimum viable feature may not yet be good enough. And so you're going to go back through that build partial rollout cycle a few times around this loop to make sure again, that you are indeed building something that repeatedly creates value for your customers. So that's kind of the key step here. Um, once you can demonstrate this working at small scale, we then do a full rollout, which is we give this to our entire user base or a customer base. And what we are looking for here is essentially scale. So this is where we are doing two things. One, we want to verify that what we indeed saw in a small scale environment with our qualitative measurements can indeed be repeatable and scalable. Because sometimes we fall into a false positive. We can launch a feature, give it to our best customers, they love it, but when we give it to our, our full user base, we realize that we don't get the same engagement that we got with this smaller early adopter customer base. And so the way that you fix that or the way that you check for that is making sure that you do indeed launch this to everyone and it's still not done yet. So notice I've not said we are done. This is still an intermediate traction step where we now have to make sure that all of these five metrics fire at scale. So we start pumping in more users uh, into, the, into the customer factory of that feature. More users are, are wa walking through this funnel and we are measuring these metrics along the way. Now, while we're doing this, this can take a while to do because uh, statistically significant data takes time to collect. Depending again on your user base, these could be in the order of hours if you've got millions of users but it could certainly take you weeks and in some cases even, even a couple of months to get to truly sig significant results. Now we can hold up the queue of features and so this is where we'll start working on the next backlog item. Um, so you might park this, you've got some incremental traction that justifies keeping this feature around, but you wanna make sure that you do indeed verify this at scale. And if it does get verified at scale, you'll mark it done and that's when it's truly done. And if it doesn't get verified at scale, that feature should ideally be removed out of your, your product. Because an unused feature, a feature that's not creating value for your customers is really a form of waste. It's taking up a lot of resources, customer support and things like it. And so you want to really take it out, uh, which I find again, not a lot of teams really get to that stage to measure our features um, not being used, should we kill features? That's really a question that one should be asking. Pruning your, your existing features out there is another thing that um, keeps your product focused and really on message. For sure. With all that Ash went through here, we probably ought to finish with some key takeaways, don't you think? Yes, I think you're right on that. And you want to know what? Ash sort of made life easier on that front. <laughs> he actually noted the most important key takeaways for us. Oh, well. All right. That's perfect then. So, Ash, take it away. I'll end with five takeaways that I'll summarize here. The first thing is features must be pulled and not pushed. So a lot of us, once we launch our MVP, we go into this push stage, which is we come up with uh, ideas, we prioritize our backlog, sometimes with or without customer input, and we are in push mode. So we spend a lot of time building a very focused, small minimum viable product. But when we start pushing a lot of features, we very quickly turn that simple, small MVP into a bloated monster where things just become complex, things start going um, out, of, uh, out of process, but we also find that our metrics start, start getting worse. So that's, that's kind of a symptom of, of that. 
the next takeaway here is that the same process you use, the same disciplined, rigorous process you use to launch your MVP can and should be used for every feature and release thereafter. Every one of those needs to start with a goal and not just a output goal or a learning goal, but rather a traction goal. And the way you achieve traction is by breaking it down into these three phases. So discovery, insights, and then traction. And traction will be an incremental process as we saw. You can start to first measure attention, then small scale value creation, and then larger scale uh, value creation. And then finally, I want to end with speed of learning. So speed of learning is the new unfair advantage today. If you can go faster than your competition and uncover problems before they do and build for solutions that can address those problems, you prevent switching away from your own product. And that is an unfair advantage that one needs to harness over time. Now, the last piece and the final piece here is that, yes, we need to go fast, but you have to make sure that you're only going as fast as you can learn. And the only way that you measure learning is with some of those traction metrics. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Michael, I'd say that Ash packed a lot of learning into this talk, though, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it sounds like we have some additional bonus episodes just like this one coming up. So there's even more to look forward to. That's right. We've got a couple more coming up from past editions of Industry Virtual. And and again, just an example of the kind of stuff that you'll learn at Industry if you join us. And and hopefully you do. You could go to industryconference.com slash virtual to check it all out. Use that code ROCKETSHIP. Just saying, I want to help you save on your pass, you know. <laughs> all right, all right. I think you made your point, Mike. <laughs> and look, it's a good one, but... We've got plenty more to learn here in the next couple of weeks. So I hope you're, you'll be listening in. For Mike Belsito, this is Michael Saka, and you've been listening to Rocketship.fm. So long. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.